give you my card. My pager's on there, so please feel free to give me a buzz. Anti-vigilante task force. You know how you can tell the difference between a masked cop and a vigilante? No. Me neither. Popheads and welcome to issue 51 of the TomCast Popcast, also known as Popcast. We are a proud member of the 3BZ Network family of podcasts. I am your host, I am Tom, and we are continuing our special series on Watchmen today. But before we get started on all the Watchmen fun, please show your love and support for the show by following this awesome, small, independent podcast on the social medias, at TomCast underscore Popcast on Twitter, and at the TomCast underscore podcast on Instagram. And if you're interested, head on over to patreon.com slash TomCastPopCast where you can join Pophead Nation. Just like current Pophead Nation members, the Aspen Hill Chody, and a super Pophead Nation member, please welcome Brian Broussard to the family. He's doing the second tier, which means Brian's going to get access to our very, very special special Patreon member only podcast and that's being released later this week so he has that to look forward to I'm hoping he likes it I'm going to have fun doing it so uh, look, that's something to look forward to that's the kind of added content we're going to be doing for our our second tier members and uh, alright or I guess that's tier 1 really let's think about it this way tier one's the top tier there's two tiers tier, tier 1 and tier 2 but thank you both to Aspen Hill Chitty and to Brian Rizard for joining the Pophead Nation family. Also, while we're at it, I do want to share with everybody that we got a sweet five-star review on uh, Amazon. Sweet five-star review on Apple iTunes. This is from local beer fan. He writes, legit. Best place to get pop culture conversation, news, and discussion. Top notch. Another phenomenal podcast from the 3B Zine crew. No one does it better. I love hearing that. That's awesome. Thank you so much for that great review. I truly appreciate it. All right, you guys ready to get into Watchmen? Last night, HBO aired episode three of their Watchmen series from executive producer Damon Lindelof. And the title for episode three is, She Was Killed by Space Junk. This is an episode that really, uh, really goes a long way to bringing the comic book and, and the new TV series uh, together. This, this is now, this is where the, the show and the graphic novel now come together to hold hands as one. Uh, this is, comes with the introduction of Lori Blake, also known as Lori Jupsek from the comics, who was Silk Spectre. Now she is uh, Lori Blake, a member of the FBI. She's taken her father's last name. Her father, if you don't recall, is the comedian. Uh, she's now adopted his last name, and she is on the Anti-Vigilante Task Force for the United States government. Obviously, this is a big deal introduction as far as... Uh, like I said, bringing the stories, the two stories from the comics and the TV show together, um, but we get a lot, a lot more, a lot more information comes out in this episode. And as much as I want to start at the beginning of the show, at the beginning with Lori, there's something we have to talk about immediately. And uh, before the episode even aired last night, I, the last few days uh, prior to episode three airing, 
I had become uh, pretty adamant that we were going to open this show discussing a little bit more in depth the role of Jer- that Jeremy Irons is playing on the show. Um, we haven't gotten too much into it, and there that's been for a bit of a re- there, there has been a reason for that, and it's because I was kind of waiting to see what they were going to do with this. I wanted to see where they were going to go. Th- go. I wanted to see where they were going to go, where they were going to take this, the directions they were they were going for, what we were trying to um, ascertain. And like, there was nothing concrete coming out in the first couple episodes of the show about his character. And you know, leading building into that mystery was the fact that HBO and Damon Lindelof and everybody else had been very uh, adamant about not admitting that Jeremy Irons was playing uh, Adrian Veidt slash Ozymandias, which um, I, I don't know if that was designed to lead more mystery into the show or if that was designed to uh, just kind of throw us off the trail a little bit and make us think that there's something else happening here than, than what was maybe being shown during the, the opening, opening episodes of the show. And we were going to talk about that some more, uh, except episode three came out and um, we got... We got confirmation of what I think we all thought was going on from the beginning anyways. Jeremy Irons, for the first time, calls himself Adrian Veidt. And even more importantly than that, there's a, a, a bit of a bigger scene with him at the, at the tail end after he makes that announcement where we really cement that in, into stone. And um, it is important, to say the least, if you are a fan of the comic book, to know... Like I said, the, the connections between the show and the comic really come alive in this episode. And a lot of it is through, A, the introduction of Laurie Blake's character, but also, B, through this, this Adrian Veidt storyline now, uh, because we are able to uh, make a fair amount of assertions and assumptions based on what is happening in this episode. This episode is key. We get so much information about what is going on with, with Adrian, with Ozymandias. And... Uh, it's important to realize that there, there is a there's a really strong parallel here from what was done in Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' graphic novel. You guys may remember the black, the black freighter storyline in the comics of of the the sailor who is whose whose ship is destroyed and he's lost at sea. Uh, they are attacked by the black freighter, and he has to build a raft of the the dead crewmen that he served with so that he can try to get home before the Black Freighter attacks his hometown, so he can try and save his family. And, you know, being lost at sea for an an unfortunate amount of time, and, you know, your raft's built out of dead people, that has a tendency to affect you. And what's important about that storyline in the comics, which uh, was initially not a part of of the, the film adaptation, but which they did an animated version of, and uh, has been inserted into a cut of the film, which is, I believe, the Watchmen Ultimate Edition, available on Amazon for streaming purposes, if you'd like to pick that up. Um, why the Black Freighter Line storyline is so important is because it's, and this is according to Alan Moore, this is not, not me making a supposition, uh, that, that, that is Adrian Veidt's story. Why he is able to why he comes up with the plan that he comes up with in the comic book. So this episode is very heavy with Black Freighter references. So we are getting a bit of a, a revisiting 
of the Black Friday storyline, and we are starting to figure out that Adrian is not off living um, in the lap of luxury in, in some remote countryside villa so that he could pursue his you know, crazy scientific dreams and, and, and all these things. Um, and this, uh, this, this is a little bit of a spoiler, I guess, I guess, I, mm. let's just say there's a lot more going on. Adrian doesn't want to be where he's really at and he's trying to figure out a way to get out of there. <laughs> now we can speculate about why he's there. We can speculate who put him there and what's really going on. I sort of, yeah, this is hard. I want to kind of be vague, but I kind of want to spill the, spill the beans and, and talk about a lot of stuff because there's such a dearth of, of, of things to talk about. This has been, again, the, the Ozymandias scenes happen around the 35-ish minute mark of the, of the episode, and they're, they're revelatory. They're, it's from the, from the first start of, of his scenes to the end part of his scenes, again, a ton of information. You're able to deduce a lot of different things. And it definitely seems like he is in a place that perhaps, uh, perhaps Dr. Manhattan put him in, whether that is as some kind of uh, punishment for what he did in 1985 with the, with the giant squid attack, or if this is something else, there's, there's a lot of information here. There's a great scene of a, of a, of a, of a letter being read to him, and then his reply to that letter. A lot of information to parse through, and I don't want to go into a lot of details um, because, again, we don't want to go into straight down spoiler town, okay? Watch the show. Get into it. Start thinking of the reasons why these, why what's happening is happening, why what you're seeing is what you're seeing. And uh, uh, it, it's really fun, really in-depth stuff. But remember that Black Freighter storyline. It seems like... This is um, this is the show's version of that Black Freighter storyline, and it makes a certain amount of sense with with uh, again with Alan Moore's conceit that the Black Freighter from the comic books is Adrian's journey in the comic books. So the parallel there is strong and on point. Again, a, t- a lot of references to to the Black Freighter in Adrian's storyline: the, the 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 skull and crossbones, and all, all the pirate flags, stuff like that. And I, I suspect that will continue to come in play. Um, so if, if you haven't had a chance yet to revisit the source material, please, by all means, do that. But at the very least, you can check out that Black Freighter animated film as well if you want to kind of familiarize, familiarize yourself with it that way. Good stuff going on there. Mrs. Crookshanks, Mr. Phillips. Oh, he's going through Mr. Phillips like crazy. Oh, those Mr. Phillips. That's not a good lot in life to be Mr. Phillips. Oh, not a good lot in life at all. All right, let's, so let's back it up. Let's go back to the beginning of the episode, all right? Let's get back to, to Lori's introduction. There's a lot of interesting things happening in the beginning of the show. Uh, we, we are introduced to the, to the true satellite uplink system, which enables people to send voice messages to Dr. Manhattan on Mars. How weird and crazy is that? And that's what we opened the episode up with. Lori's in one of these, these satellite phone booths that will send a voicemail message to Dr. Manhattan on Mars. Um, which is uh, an interesting thing because, you know, at the end of the graphic novel, Dr. Manhattan is pretty much divorced from humanity. Like, he has no, n- you know, no, no, no thoughts or feelings towards humanity one way or the other. Uh, he's come through the events knowing that it's time for him to leave Earth. He's moved beyond it. Uh, but apparently there are still people on Earth 
who think that he does care and that perhaps he is some kind of overseer of, of, human, of humanity from, from Mars. So these, these satellite phone booths are set up so that you can kind of, almost in a way, like you're sending, your, you're sending a message to God and you know, sending a prayer to God in, in a way. Uh, but because of Lori's relationship with Dr. Manhattan, she's on the phone telling him jokes and, and you know, just trying to make some kind of contact with a person that she was uh, at one point very much in love with. And um, Lori is not, not in a great place, you know, whether that's because the choices she's made or because of the event that she lived through in 1985 with, with, with Night Owl, with Dr. Manhattan. You know, we're still kind of parsing through her psychology a little bit here, you know. She's a complicated character. Like I said, she's adopted the last name of her father, uh, who was the comedian, who was, a, was like a total psychopath. So, I mean, it's... it's that that character's got some good some good stuff to go through. Um, again, this is just her introductory episode, so I'm assuming we're gonna get to know a lot more. Now, uh, playing Laurie in the show is is actress Jean Smart. She's fantastic. She's amazing. You may have seen her recently on Legion. Uh, she was on uh, a season or two of Fargo on on FX. Uh, she's been doing great stuff, and, and you can go through her back catalog. She's a fantastic actress, and her portraying Laurie uh, really brings a lot of interesting stuff there. And Again, she seems, you know, she understands masked characters in such a way that it makes a lot of sense that she'd be the member of this this FBI anti-vigilante task force. And this is what she does. And her, her introduction scene is great because, you know, as she's having this conversation, we're kind of flashing back to what, what led her to, to Tulsa. Because that's where she's in the satellite booth at, where she's making these phone calls to Dr. Manhattan from. So we have to find out how she got to Tulsa. And it starts off with her uh, staging a bank robbery to draw out a vigilante. The, 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 the vigilante known as Mr. Shadow, played by uh, Lee Turgeson. So you may recognize him from an assortment of things. He's been everywhere over the years. Uh, I, I still remember him first and foremost from being on Oz on HBO way back in the day. So he makes an appearance as the Mr. Shadow, who is a very much of a Batman knockoff. He does a bit of a Christian Bale growl th- through his cowl. Um, and like I said, she fakes a bank robbery to draw this vigilante out and then arrest him for breaking the Keen Act, for violation of the Keen Act, because vigilantism is still outlawed in this America. Now, after this, um, after this sting operation to, to, to catch the, uh, Mr. Shadow... We, uh, we see Lori in her apartment. She has a, a pet owl, which is an obvious reference to, to Night Owl. And perhaps it is, perhaps it's Night Owl's owl. There's the thought, right? Uh, coming to congratulate her for the arrest is uh, Senator Joe Keene Jr., who we met in last week's episode. And he informs her that she's going to be heading up the task force, heading to Tulsa to, to look into the murder of... Well, I'm not going to tell you yet. I've made it three episodes without spoiling that. So if you're waiting to see who's dead, you're going to have to watch the show. I'm still not going to spoil the beans, spill the beans on that one, okay, guys? But we get to see this relationship that she has with the senator. And um, there's reference made to the clout that's, uh, that Joe Keene has and that perhaps one day if his aspiration of becoming the president is met, you know, he makes reference to... Uh, freeing uh, the owl from the cage that he's in, 
which seems to be a reference to Night Owl in prison. While we're on that topic, I should mention uh, that I've recently come across something called PDpedia, which is a companion website that HBO's launched that uh, they're using to kind of fill in some of the blanks from the 30 years or the 30 plus years from 1985 to 2019. And uh, one of the things that's mentioned on that website, is that, yes, in fact, Night Owl is arrested and in jail because of actions he takes with Laurie Blake. In 1995, they are arrested for uh, continued vigilante activities. Apparently, Laurie, it would seem, takes the deal while Dan Dryberg, Night Owl, goes to prison, which might be part of the reason for her psychology right now. It's a little hard to say. I think we're waiting to find, still to find out how that's going to play out, how it's going to shake out. Um, but it's an interesting site, uh, and it's named Pedipedia because her uh, Lori Blake's partner on the show's last name is Petey, and he's a, a historian slash kind of a superhero fanboy. Um, so he, this website seems to exist uh, in order to help kind of fill out some of the things that may not get to the, may not get, get done on the show which is, I think is very, very interesting. You can get to the site through hbo.com uh, forward slash pedipedia, which is P-E-T-E-Y-P-E-D-I-A, pedipedia. And uh, it's just kind of a fun little site, offshoot site. Uh, it's, like I said, it's been described as a companion site for the Watchmen show where you can kind of get a lot of interesting tidbits of information that uh, the show hasn't gone around to covering just yet. Maybe they will get to it, maybe they won't. Uh, one of the things that's on there... Um, I suspect they will get to eventually, but I, uh, it's one of the spoilers I do not want to get into at the moment uh, because I, I suspect that we'll have a bigger role to play on episodes coming up. One of the things uh, that happens next after Lori has this sting and the conf- then the meeting with Keen and she knows she's going to go to Tulsa is there's an FBI briefing. This FBI briefing uh, serves as another way of, of, of giving us, the audience, uh, more information uh, to kind of fill in some of the blanks of how it gives us a lot of information that shows us how Tulsa came to be in the shape that it came to be in. Uh, it makes mention to uh, the response to the to uh, the White Knight, which is called, funny enough, it's called DOPA, which is a Defense of Police Act, which has uh, resulted in an 80% crime drop in Tulsa. And now um, it's become so successful in Tulsa, there are other cities in the country that want this DOPA Act, which is uh, what allows the police to wear masks to protect their identities from criminals. Uh, the FBI briefing goes a little bit goes further. I'm sorry, the DOPA Act is mentioned in the scene with Senator Keene and, and Lori Blake at her apartment. The FBI briefing fills in different blanks about the rise of the 7th Cavalry, mostly uh, having to do with uh, President Redford's Re- uh, Reparations Act and... Um, how the Seventh Cavalry kind of rose up from that act, adopting uh, Rorschach's uh, outlandish, uh, far-right opinions as as the, kind of like a, a rallying cry to themselves, and it goes on to talk about like what some of the factors were that got that motivated the White Knight to begin with. That leads us into, um, that leads us to Lori going to Tulsa. They're on a, on a private plane on a. Uh, FBI charter flight, and you get to see the Millennium Clock, and it's mentioned a character, a new character is mentioned, uh, who she will be playing a part in Episode Four, uh, named Lady True, who bought uh, 
uh, Adrian Veidt's company, uh, who bought Adrian Veidt's company once he went missing in 2012. That information came off PDPD as well. So Adrian Veidt has been gone for a long time, so that when he is declared dead in the first episode of the show, just in, in passing, it's like on a random newspaper that floats by the screen, uh, we know that he's been gone for, for missing for quite some time. So you see this giant millennium clock. We don't know much about it, what it's for necessarily. I suspect it has a role to play in things to come as well. And as I said, uh, Lady True will be making her first physical appearance on the show next week in, in uh, episode four. Lori comes to Tulsa. She confronts the police, the masked police to begin with. She uh, runs into uh, Red Scare and Pirate Jenny as they're transporting suspected 7th Cav members. The Tulsa police is still rounding up cavalry members, suspected cavalry members, trying to find any information they can on, on the murder that they're trying to solve, uh, which leads to a great scene with, with Looking Glass. Looking Glass and Lori in the pod together. And uh, <laughs> Lori asks a couple of questions about what the pod is, and she comes away with the... With the um, what Looking Glass calls as an oversimplification uh, that the pod is basically a racist detector, <laughs> which is a, a pretty uh, um, amusing scene to begin with. Um, from there, things, uh, you know, it's from that point that Lori is, is definitely asserting herself into the investigation, and she's not, she's not shy about letting it be known that she doesn't much care for these police with their masked faces and, and one of the people that she's trying to find after talking to Nightglass is Angela Avar. Now actually I should back up for one second because Lori knows who all these masked cops are, particularly the detectives. She knows who Red Scare is, she knows who Pirate Jenny is, she knows who Looking Glass is. She calls them all by their names at certain points. And uh, that shows that the character is uh not only well connected, but you know, just savvy enough to figure out who these who these people are. No matter what information the public has, she knows exactly who they are. The masks don't fool her, and because of her history with masks, she has a uh, innate connection to the psychology of a person who would want to wear a mask, uh, which leads to an interesting confrontation when she meets uh, Angela Abar's family, and they trade some. Interesting mar- remarks with one another. We played one of them to open the episode with this week. And uh, it's really good. They uh, Obviously, these two characters um, aren't going to get along the best, but they're not into to fight each other either. They seem to, you know, they both seem to have a sense of justice about them, but they're going about it in very, very different ways. Whether that keeps them apart, trying to achieve the same goal, or whether they come together is what we'll have to take time to figure out. And it's hard to say for sure what's going to happen there. One of the interesting parts about Lori's psychology, at least what we've seen thus far in this first episode with her, is that she does not seem like a very happy person. She does not seem like she's in a good place. Um, and that definitely comes through in her her interactions with the other characters on the show so far. And I think that's something that uh, should be paid attention to as things move forward, uh, and especially by the end of this episode. But we'll get to that in a little bit. So... Again, it's it's tough to kind of dance around some of the things I don't want to spoil, but there, you know, we mentioned it last episode that someone's been murdered. It parallels the comic book in a lot of ways. Um, just like the way the comic book started with the comedian's murder, there is a murder to kind of kick off the events of the show. So they are. This is the funeral scene for this that character who is dead, because you have to be dead to be in a funeral. 
so at this funeral, I think it's uh, important to mention the name of the um, the funeral, the uh, cemetery. Uh, it's Tartarus, Tartarus, Tartarus Acres, which is a, uh, a Greek mythology reference um, as a place where evildoers are punished, yet this seems to be the, si- the burial site of a police officer. So that's something interesting and something to pay attention to, perhaps a clue of things to come, of mysteries to be unveiled, possibly, or just a red herring to throw us all off the scent. Well, it's, it's Watchmen, it's Damon Lindelof, they like to play games with us. But again, something that caught my that caught my eye, and I wanted to to kind of make note of here on the show. So, at the funeral, at the at the service, uh, eulogies are being given, and the Seventh Cavalry makes itself known. A, a using a tunnel underneath the grounds, a a member of the Seventh Cavalry uh, comes out of a mausoleum with the bomb jacket that we saw them assembling in the previous episode when they were watching American Hero Story. And the 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 seventh cav member demands he calls he first he calls Senator Joaquin Jr. a race traitor and demands that he turns himself over to him so no one else will get hurt. Now I don't know how many movies you guys have all seen, how many TV shows you've all seen, but doesn't that seem kind of like the move that you do the the kind of kidnapping a stage in public to make yourself seem like a really good guy? because you're actually working with the bad guys. Again, I don't know for sure. That is speculation on my part. It seems almost too obvious that Joe Keene Jr. is a bad guy. Maybe there's more going on here. Again, it could be another red herring, something to throw us off the scent a little bit more. Um, but we don't know for sure. It, it, but it does make for, for interesting conversation, interesting things to kind of chew on as we, as we you know, kind of ferret out some of the mysteries of this, this new world of the Watchmen. That we are that we are now in, and um, we'll see. We'll see. Like I said, there's a lot of mysteries to peel back here. I don't want to speculation. I'm, I just I'm kind of dancing around that a little bit too. Don't want to get too nuts. So we're basically to the end of the episode because it's right after this is which is where the Adrian Veidt stuff comes to out, comes out. Where you see the scenes with Jeremy Irons and uh, Cruikshank and, and Mr. Phillips. And, and again, you get a ton of information, a ton of important stuff there uh, to kind of parse through. And, to, and I'll be, like I said, I'll be spending the rest of the week kind of chewing on what, what was said, every little bit of dialogue, every little clue that's kind of woven into that tapestry that they're spinning with that story. Yeah, I'd love, I, I would love to kind of dive in and, and, and share my, my speculation with everybody. But I'm, again, I'm, I'm trying not to get too spoilerific for the show. Unless you guys start texting me and let me know. Uh, hit me up on the social medias. Oh, by the way, we even have a Gmail account. So if you guys want to email me, it's it's just TomCastPopCast at gmail.com. So hit me up on the emails. If you're not if you're not a fan of the social medias, hit me up on that. Let me know what's going on. And if you're just like, and if I hear enough people say like, like let's get let's get down and dirty, let's get into the spoilers. We'll get into the spoilers. I got no problem with that. Mostly because I <laughs> I'm dying to talk to more people about it. I only have a handful of friends who are caught up on the show. But it's so good. It's so good. Um, so skipping ahead past that point, you know, with, with Adrian, we go back to Lori in the phone booth, which is where we started the show. And she's, she's wrapping up her joke that she's, she's leaving for Dr. Manhattan, for, for her ex-lover, John Osterman, who is Dr. Manhattan living on Mars. And she finishes the joke. And the message is sent. 
and it's funny because uh, there's a little blip that says, you know, there's like a little operator as she finishes the call. It says, your message to Mars will be received in 40 seconds. And then you, I, I didn't count it exactly, but at right about 45 seconds after she hangs up the phone, in the time in which you would, it, it would seem to be that Dr. Manhattan would get the message and actually listen to it, there is a response. And I won't say what the response is, uh, but it elicits an emotional reaction from Lori, which is the first time we see her have a positive emotional reaction, at least throughout the duration of this episode of the show. So it's, it's interesting. And, um, you know, we assume that it's Dr. Manhattan, but maybe something else is going on because it may just tie into what happened at the tail end of last week's episode. It's not quite clear that, you know, the, you know, maybe she's interpreting it one way and it's a different, it's something else completely going on. Who's to say? I don't want to speculate too much on it because the way last week's episode wrapped up and the way this week's episode played out, we don't get much more information. We, we get no more information on, on uh, Louis Gossett Jr. as, as, as Will. We, we, we don't know where that storyline's going, where that character's going. There, the, there's no mention, no reference of it at all on this week's show. And it's, uh, yeah. Again, mysteries upon mysteries, but we're getting lots of information on these episodes, and I think it's, it's fascinating and it's fantastic to parse through all of it. And uh, we're basically at the end of the episode because I don't, again, I, I could spend another 20 minutes sitting here speculating with you guys about what I think is going on with certain characters and stuff like that. And while that is kind of fun in a, in a, uh, a comic book store kind of way, um, Again, you have to be sensitive to spoilers. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm going to try and dance that dance until you guys tell me not to anymore. Or uh, <laughs> I would suspect by the last episode of the season, we're just going to have to have to have to spill the guts of of the entire show all over the floor and play in them because it's going to be fun, fun, fun to talk about that once we get there. But I got to assume everybody's watching the show a little bit slowly, a little, a little bit slower. You know, I'm not even watching it on Sunday nights. I don't get to watch it until Mondays. So. I will respect the fact that everybody can watch this show at the at the at a comfortable pace for themselves. Uh, but what I am going to do, I'm going to go out with a sound clip from the episode from Jeremy Irons. So if you if you aren't caught up and you don't want to have too much information, don't play this. <laughs> don't listen to the sound clip. All right, just just call it the episode and and know that we're going to be back next week to talk about episode four, and it's going to be awesome. But in the meantime, before I wrap it up and before I play that sound clip, you know, I just want I just want to take another minute to thank uh, the awesome patrons I have at the moment. We have the Aspen Hill Chody, the Aspen Hill Chody, and superstar Brian Broussard, who I'm going to work on a cool nickname for Brian on the show, but I want to make sure Roger's involved because Roger's a big part of things. And he should have some say on a nickname too for Brian. Right now I'm just going to call him Super Cool Guy Brian because I'm so excited to have two members of Pophead Nation officially in the club. Maybe we'll get like a cool uh, like member's jacket. Wouldn't that be fun? In the meantime, if you don't want to join us over on Patreon as, a me- as an official member of, of, of Pophead Nation, uh, if you get a chance, head on over to Apple iTunes and give us a five-star review. That'd be super cool, just like we got today, and I'll read it on the show. A small podcast like us. You know, we're small. We're independent. We're super, super local. Uh, it's easy for us to kind of get overshadowed by the big super pop culture podcasts that are out there, but that's okay. We're having fun. We're doing our thing. But if you can help us spread the word, maybe get a little bit more love, a little bit more audience members. The show's small, but we're growing. You know, Pophead Nation is a thing. You know, help 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 get more members in the, into the into the nation. So 
share us on the social medias, share us to your friends. And those, like I said, those five-star reviews go a long way. You can follow us on social media at TomCast underscore podcast on Twitter and at the TomCast underscore podcast on Instagram. And as I just mentioned, we do have Gmail. Hit us up at TomCastPopCast at Gmail. That'd be fun, right? All right, I'm going to play that sound clip for you guys. Remember, if you don't want to know what Adrian says, don't listen to it. If you want to hear it, it's about two minutes long. It's, it's, a, it's a good chunk of dialogue. There's some information, some exposition, some craziness. Because I think Adrian's a little off his rocker at this point. But anyways, we'll be back next week with uh, a new episode for, for Watchmen. I think, uh, I think the rest of the week's a little crazy. Roger and I are going to be doing a beer week, uh, San Diego Beer Week event uh, on Thursday night over at Longship. So if anyone's in the area, head on over to Longship. We're going to be there on Thursday around 6 o'clock. We, we made a beer together. And we're going to be um, up against the rest of the guys on the Beer Night in San Diego show and, and, and a couple of other luminaries of the San Diego um, beer enthusiast community. So come on over, find us, and tell us that our beer is the best, and then vote for us so that we win whatever cool prize it is that we would win. Yeah, so because of that event, I don't think there'll be a regular news-filled sort of episode of the show this week. Maybe, possibly, perhaps, if I can get my shit together. It's just kind of a hellacious week. Um, but at the very least, you'll be hearing from me next Monday, folks. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And uh, remember, ciao, babes. I'm so sorry to disturb you, Master. But there's a letter from the game warden. Read it to me. Let's see what our adversary has to say for himself. Don't dispense with the flowery pleasantries and get to it. I beg your pardon, sir, but when you first arrived here, we agreed upon the terms of your captivity. Your recent behavior suggests an intention to violate those terms. As such, if this behavior continues, you will face grave consequences. He's underscored consequences. Know this. The next shot I fire, sir, will not be at your feet. Please consider this your first and only warning. Thank you again for the delicious tomatoes. Your humble servant, the Game Warden. To the typefighter, Crookshanks. Let's see what this devious cur is made of, shall we? Oh, yes, we shall, Master. Hmm. Most honorable game warden, I beg your pardon, sir, but you seem to suspect me of criminal activities, as if I were a dastardly forest brigand, or worse, some sort of republic serial villain. I am neither, sir, and I assure you that my activities are purely recreational in nature. Furthermore, I would never imagine to transgress the terms upon which we agree. I am available at your leisure and by your grace to discuss this matter further should you wish to repeat your ridiculous accusations in person. That said, I'm pleased you enjoyed the tomatoes. All best wishes and encouragements. Adrian Vike.
What do you think, Miss Crookshanks? <sighs> this will have him quaking in his boots, Master. I'll have it sent right away. Have Mr. Phillips restring my bow and saddle up Eucephalus. I hunt again at midnight. We're not gonna be fucking sunk this year! <laughs>